You're listening to We, we, we the Aether Podcast with host Adam Evans, within and without. Welcome. So just to kick things off, do you mind just introducing yourself, um, what it is you do exactly, what you're involved with, uh, just so anyone that's not familiar is, is going to be able to catch up and, and be up to speed. I, I will include a lot of your information as well in the show notes of the podcast, but um, just in your own words, it makes it a lot nicer for people to, to get an understanding of, of who you are. Sure. So, uh, <clears throat> um, I am uh, Dr. Rob, uh, aka Dr. Robert Maldonado, and uh, I'm the co-founder of the Jungian Spiritual Psychology Coaching Program. And uh, yeah, my wife and I have been working on uh, establishing uh, an academy that trains coaches in a Jungian model of transformation. And uh, my background is in psychology. I've uh, got a master's in clinical psychology, University of Texas, and then went to the University of Wisconsin, did a lot of my graduate work there. And um, my uh, training, uh, my training early on, it, tr- it focused on acculturation, uh, especially at the University of Texas. Uh, that, at that time, that was, uh, some of the most exciting work going on trying to understand how culture plays into the psychological emotional development of human beings Uh, from there i went to university of wisconsin where really i shifted my focus more to the neurodevelopment and uh, neuropsychology of uh, early childhood again because at that time, that was the exciting uh, research that was coming out at that time. Back, this was uh, early 200s, uh, 2000s, I'm sorry. And um, really, we started seeing that uh, brain development uh, was not occurring uh, in a vacuum. It is very much a mind or brain environment interaction that's going on. And when I started talking to my wife, Debbie, about what we knew from psychology and what was going on in neuroscience and then my background in in Jungian psychology, we started thinking about developing a coaching model that would apply a lot of that information that would make it accessible to lay people where it could be applied in a practical way uh, so that people could use this information and this knowledge that we have uh, in a practical way, right? For success, for relationships, for personal development. And um, that's been my work for the last 10 years, I'd say. Hmm. Okay. Now, did, you mentioned um, you were focusing a lot on like the cultural aspect of it uh, early yes. on, I guess, at the University of Texas. Do you yes. find that that, that very, I mean, I assume it would culture to culture, but do you find that it varies, you know, depending on which country you're in? Or do you find it, it goes as, as more micro as the actual individual state? For instance, Texas culture is widely, vastly different, uh, the different than, you know, New York or... Yes. Uh, and you go to California, for instance, um, do you find that it differs state to state? 
It does. And, and even uh, if you break it down, if you look at culture and its influence, you can actually break it down to individual families. Each individual family interprets mm -hmm. culture in their unique way because they have to adapt and they have to make it work for them, um, given what the community gives them as to what is the meaning of our culture. You know, how, what is religion, what, what part does religion play into our family life? Uh, what do we do with language? How do we use it? And all those factors play into the development of the brain and, and the mind. And so each individual family unit, and then, of course, you can break it all down in, also into the, the individual herself or himself applies those principles in a unique way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it makes sense. And, and do you, did you get into any uh, in-depth study of, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with, um, morphic resonance? Uh, so for instance, Rupert Sheldrake is a researcher of morphic resonance, and for instance, kind of tying in with the family and the culture aspect of things, it can carry over generation to generation, certain be behavioral traits, t uh, tendencies, things like that. Do you find that that remains true today. Uh, and I know you mentioned religion, that would be one of the main influential factors of just people's upbringing for the past, what, 50, 100 years. Um, do you think that there's something uh, that's starting to, um, I suppose, supplement religion in a way, or at least um, just becoming more pro predominantly um, an influential factor in the cultural development of people in today's society and do you find that morphic resonance plays a role in that and, and even considering the fact that the religious culture would still be rolling over and carrying over from previous generations so there's yes. it almost kind of thinks like it's butting heads in a way where you have this old way of thinking kind of mishmashing with these these new technologies these new emerging concepts that are being introduced to people through the internet and through conversations such as we're having here um, yes so, so what was your take on that uh, just the evolution of things yeah, I'm not familiar with the uh, morphic uh, resonance work, uh, but in recent years, there's been an emphasis on genetics. So from genetics, and you probably know this, the, the, the idea of epigenetics has come in recently uh, to where it's showing that the experience of the previous generations mm -hmm. being carried on into our current uh, behavioral makeup. So that means whatever my parents, my grandparents went through, I'm inheriting some of that uh, residue mm -hmm. genetically. Uh, and so it's impacting on the way I'm going to react to my current environment uh, as far as language, uh, stress, uh, uh, social situations, it's going to impact the way I see those things and the way I react to them. And certainly from the point of view of uh, Jungian psychology, uh, one of the main ideas that he, he emphasized was that regardless of our technological development, we are still spiritual beings and have that religious instinct in us. And it's going to come out some way or another, uh, whether it's stifled or not by the current uh, social situation, which tends to dismiss it or repress it. It's going to come out some, somehow. It's going to uh, demand a little bit of attention. 
and I think the way it's been coming out is um, you, you certainly see a lot of the ideas about uh, new age uh, ideas about uh, uh, spirituality. Uh, yoga has come into play in the West a lot, um, but it's not, uh, let's say it's not culturally uh, integrated as well as it could be. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's definitely playing a big role in, in the way human beings have been developing and re, uh, relating to technology. Uh, and, and then, of course, neurologically, we know that looking at screens for long periods of time is going to change the brain structure and the way the mind functions. Uh, it's, it's because it is a brain and environment uh, interaction that creates the, the human being. Um, as far as uh, whether that's good or bad, uh, we still don't know. Yeah, it's, it's really early on, I guess you can, I mean, just the emergence of technology, it's so early on that we really don't have any, any way yes. to, to determine how, in what direction that's going. I assume only for the better, just because the, the openness of, the, of information now and just the ease of access is, and even what you're doing just with, with um, uh, just building things on like a Jungian philosophy and being able to just spread that information out, it's just so much more, yes. so much better than you could have years ago. I mean, I, I'm sure you've been in it for a while. I'm sure you know it's just, uh, it's crazy now. You can hit record, film a podcast and, and reach so many people. And I'm sure people reach out to you and express their, you know, yes. their interest in what you're doing, I, I'm sure. Um, now, part of Jungian psychology has to do with dreams. Is that correct? Yes. And dream interpretation. Mm-hmm. Now, do you integrate that um, much with your, with your um, training program that you, you help people interpret their, their dreams and the, the symbologies of their dreams and how to, um, I guess, interpret that and then translate that into their waking state, their day-to-day life, which I mean, some people that are very philosophical could argue that the difference between the dream state and the waking state is uh, it's a very fine line, uh, especially mm-hmm. if you're into uh, shamanism and um, right. Native American uh, culture. But um, do you find or do you, do you train people on how to interpret their dreams and how to uh, integrate that of their day-to-day experience? Yes. Yeah. The, the general training, uh, I, I'd say it's we're teaching an approach to the unconscious mind. How do we approach this, this idea of the unconscious mind? Because really... Uh, Freud and Jung kind of gave us that, uh, you know, that tradition of working with not just our conscious thoughts, our cognition, but what's going on in the unconscious mind. Now, Freud and Jung saw saw the unconscious very differently, uh, whereas Freud saw it as a very personal uh, kind of repository of our past experience and repressed wishes. Uh, Jung really because he had this bigger view of uh, culture, religion, mythology, he saw the unconscious as the repository of all human experience. And not only human experience, but even going back further, our biological inheritance from animal life and and our connection to the earth and, and the cosmos. And so the idea of the collective unconscious gives us that entry point into the dream world, the inner world. And certainly understanding mythology, understanding religious thought helps us interpret our own dreams in a, in a better context than 
just uh, let's say residue from previous uh, the previous day or repressed wishes. Now, training people in understanding dreams requires a little bit of uh, of thought and and uh, consideration as to. Uh, why do we want to focus on dreams? Why do we want to focus on the unconscious? And the primary idea is this, individuation. Individuation, you know, it's very close to the idea of uh, self-actualization, meaning there's an inherent tendency in the human being to express the fullness of their, their potential. And going inward, looking inward, especially at, at around midlife, after 30, 35, um, people hit that, um, kind of that period where they start to question, is, there, is that all there is to my life, right? Is, is building a career and establishing myself as, uh, uh, you know, in relationships and, and, and a career, is that all there is or is there more to, to my life? And that's when they start looking inward and, and the, if they don't have the tools, if they don't have the, the psychological information to do something with that, then they feel stuck often. They, they, they get sidetracked or they, you know, maybe go into cults or, or get into drug addiction or something because that tendency is frustrated. But if they have the psychological tools and, and the, the right coaching, they can take advantage of that question period and really transform themselves into that full potential. And it comes from within, from understanding their unconscious mind and paying attention to their dreams. Mm -hmm. So I guess you could, you, to, to summarize that and correct me if I'm wrong, you could say that uh, Jung approached psychology and collective consciousness as sort of a, a network, an integrated, everything being connected. Um, yes. Which is very similar, you know, I, I'm, I'm big on mythologies as well, and I, I've, I've studied Vedas and things like that. And it, it's almost akin to, the, uh, to Hinduism uh, and, and Indra's net. It always brings to mind Indra's net, which is this right. connected web held together by these tiny pearls, these jewels. Um, and, and it really does express that connectivity of everything. Um, and it's really neat that you do arm people with the, with the resources needed to, to examine and sort of look inward. Uh, and that was sort of, that was leading into my next question, was, which was, where does someone start? I, I find, I mean, you as well, I'm sure, have a lot of personal relationships where people aren't at that stage of development where they want to look inward. It's almost a lot of people describe it as waking up as well, coming out of the dreams, you know, and then they'll, they'll want to explore their psyche. They'll want to explore uh, their own uh, potential, really, as you said, reaching that level of self-actualization. And a lot of people don't know where to start and they get they just get caught in momentum and they just end up being it's, it's like they go back to sleep and then they get caught in that momentum of being asleep. And then all of a sudden a year passes, two year passes, three year passes, and they've been sleeping this whole time. Um, I find it happens to me sometimes where I'll be, you know, I'll go through phases, suffer, you know, maybe a week straight. It's like, what was I doing that past week? You know, I didn't feel like I was all there cognitively as I am normally, right? It feels like I'm I was a bit disconnected. Something wasn't, wasn't clicking for me. And that's why I think the dream interpretation is very important because the unconscious mind will sometimes reveal those things to you. And then you'll have to, that'll give you'll have, if, as, long as, as long as you have the tools, you can examine those things, right? As long as you have an understanding. And that's just great that you're helping people develop that because yes, is that the starting point or at least one of the starting points, being able to examine the unconscious mind through the dream state? The, definitely one of them. Uh, 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 
you mentioned something important, right? That uh, we are in a type of sleep. Uh, Jung says it this way, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life, but you will think it's fate. Meaning what appears to you and what arises to you in your waking life will appear to be coming from the external, you know, accidentally or inconsequentially. But it's really coming from your own unconscious conditioning. The things you've assumed are real and possible for you are simply, uh, let's say, they're, they're being projected from within your mind based on your past experiences. And so your mind is simply assuming this is who I am, this is what's possible for me. And then the external is simply showing you that. And so it's, it's very difficult for people to snap out of that because they, they believe in their senses and they, they think, well, if I'm seeing it, that means it's true. My assumptions are true. But they don't understand that consciousness, the way it works is that it will create for you what you assume is true. And so you're, you're caught in that wheel of what I'm seeing is, is the reality, but that reality is actually your own projection of what you assume is, is true. Mm-hmm. And so to, to, to break that cycle requires some assistance from a coach, a guru, a, a teacher, somebody from the outside that can help you to to work through that projection and understand that oh okay what i'm seeing is is really arising from my own mind not from some external destiny or or some external force that's coming from the outside mm-hmm. yeah and it, and it is that momentum people tend to get caught up in uh, you know I, I i i do as well um and it, and it kind of catches you off guard and you have to really be attentive to it um, you yes. know, I've, I've made some content uh, revolving around uh, the shadow. And I actually was just looking on uh, YouTube. Uh, I, I sometimes I'll repost some content. And I, and I literally reposted a five-minute uh, speech. And it was about uh, Jung, Jung's interpretation of the shadow. And I just looked at it. And it's like cracked over 10,000 views. Um, and it's climbing. Sometimes that happens. I go back to old content that I think is not going to be very popular. And, and sometimes it won't. It'll start out very slow. But then all of a sudden I see all these people like discussing young and I'm like, wow, that's great. I love it. <laughs> you know, I'll post more. It's an indicator for me. Um, so can you just briefly describe in your own words, what Jung's interpretation of the shadow or what exactly that is the shadow self? Yeah. <clears throat> um, I've seen some of those, uh, a lot of videos and a lot of content on the internet and, and you know, Jung is like reading the Bible. You can literally find almost every every yeah. point of view because he wrote so much. You mm-hmm. know, and very philosophical um, too. I mean, you can you can you know go all different directions with it. You know? Absolutely. Uh, from from my point of view, uh, and, and I read I've read most of his collected works and studied it intently. The shadow for most of us is not, uh, let's say, the dark side of us. Uh, there, of course, if you look at pathology or, or individuals with pathological tendencies, obviously the shadow is going to be dark and, and, and ominous. 
But for most of us, you know, who kind of developed in a typical way, um, it, it's simply the rejected aspects of what uh, we considered not fit for our, our persona. And our persona is simply what we want to project and what we want to, uh, let's say, others see us as. You know, we, we wear a mask and, and we have this persona that helps us function in the world. All the things that didn't fit, that weren't adaptive, or really didn't, didn't help us in that in that early family structure and that early society that we were growing up in, we, we tended to reject it. Now, because uh, the function of the mind is to project outward and see reality as external to us, we end up seeing the shadow in others. And, and so one of the ways that we work with the shadow is that whatever triggers us, and especially the individuals that, that really push our buttons, like, uh, you know, at work, the boss, or, and in, in relationships, right, the, the, the partner often is the one that really pushes our buttons, right, because they have that, uh, that capacity to do so. Yeah, with the least amount of words, they can do the most cutting through. That's really Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. Um, they give us the opportunity to, to really make the unconscious conscious, to see the shadow in all its glory. Um, but we have to know what we're doing and we have to accept that the reason they're triggering us is because they're touching our own shadow. That is, there, there's a corresponding element in our psyche that corresponds to what we're judging them as, you know, being uh, angry, obnoxious, uh, intolerant, what, whatever it is, it's, it's really part of us. And that's the difficult part for, for us as human beings because we're used to the idea that there's an external reality and it's separate from us, right? That, that it has an independent arising from my mind. That if I close my eyes and go away, that reality is still there somehow. That, that's a kind of illusion, really, that the, the mind creates. Everything we experience, we experience within our consciousness, within our mind. And it is a very, you know, uh, uh, it is ours, essentially. There, it, it cannot exist separate from us. And so we're dealing with this shadow element continuously. It's always there. It's simply that we're misunderstanding its nature. So part of the work, uh, uh, the shadow work is really re-educating ourselves, retraining ourselves about what is it that I'm perceiving is it coming from, from them? Is it something external to me? Or is it part of my work that I have to do? And, and once the individual starts to understand that, then they can work with whatever comes up, whatever arises, no matter how difficult, if they can train their mind to say, this is, this is saying something about me, right? This is pointing at something within me then you can work through any situation in, in a creative way, in a productive way where it helps you understand yourself more. And the, the great thing about the shadow that most of it, you know, it's not dark at all. What, what it does, it gives you an opportunity to free your mind from past conditioning. So the more you understand about your shadow, 
the more freedom you get because you're no longer projecting externally, which means every time you, let's say somebody triggers you and you work through it, it opens up that whole area that was previously locked in the unconscious. Mm, that's a great all that energy, all that energy now is available for you to use it in a creative way, in a conscious way. Mm-hmm. That, that's a wonderful way of looking at it. Um, I, I've, I've been starting to be more attentive to that as well. If something arises, I examine the energy and if my energy is even being sapped to, to even contemplate what that situation is all about. Um, and it's, it's something, because sometimes you just get so wrapped up in that situation, right? In that, oh, in absolutely. That, and it is a projection and it just, it just perpetuates itself when, when that ends up happening. Um, so yeah, it's definitely, definitely holds true for me. And it, this also somewhat ties in with karma as well from just, just from the way you're describing things and just having, just reliving those past experiences and even, and even that of your, you know, your parents and your grandparents and everything else is just, um, it's great that you do help people with those tools to examine things. Um, now I know you have a, a podcast. Did you have a YouTube channel as well? I wasn't sure. Like I saw you upload the videos Did those, did those go on your YouTube channel? Yes, we have, uh, we have, our main website is uh, Debbie and Dr. Rob. Okay. Uh, and then we have a U- YouTube channel. Uh, it's called Hypno Deb because my wife started it before we, we met. Mm-hmm. And she used that handle, Hypno Deb, uh, on YouTube. And then our podcast is Debbie and Dr. Rob Show or the Debbie and Dr. Rob Show. Okay. And do you mostly address people's questions on, on the show or, or what's the general format of it? Yeah, uh, we, we talk about different topics uh, that, uh, you know, are interest to us and we just kind of have fun with it for now. Uh, a lot of our work uh, initially was on relationships mm-hmm. because we wanted to present our work in, in a practical way. And certainly relationships, you know, for human beings are some of the most difficult work that we, we do. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I've, I've noticed that, especially with all these, um, I've been, I've been with my, we're, we're not married. I've been, we've been living together for 11 years now. Um, to, to us, marriage is a little bit different. We kind of see it as just a piece of paper from the government. So it's just it's this weird thing. Um, but I see all these apps, these dating apps, these uh, people just having difficulty, just connecting with each other, especially over long periods of time. And in large part because of kind of like we, what we just touched on, just that interaction between the two and the shadow. I find uh, a lot of people not really able to just take a step back. And even when you're in you know, a conversation or a, a, a dispute or debate with your spouse, it's like not being able to step back and just observe what's taking place from this neutral stance. Um, I do it all the time. I have to bite my tongue. And then I'll, I'll even be thinking about a conversation, you know, days later, but not in any sort of malicious way, but almost in just a way where I have to pick it apart and examine myself in that conversation. And I'm really just examining myself from that neutral stance and just seeing how I dealt with what was being discussed and how I can improve upon, you know, how I dealt with it. Um, so I think a lot of people don't really do that. So I think relationship stuff is just a really great area, especially for you to focus on. I haven't personally done it too much. Um, but it's something I've considered just because I, I just see this huge like need for it, um, especially in today's yeah. society and, and people's lack of connection with each other. Um, yeah. 
And Jungian work uh, really, well, he, he kind of started the ball rolling, but he kind of ran out of time, I guess, and, and didn't uh, develop the, the concept further. But the idea of the anima and the animas uh, are really tremendous ways of, of working on relationships in this self-reflective way, where you're including your own psychology and your own emotional development in the process, instead of projecting outward and saying, I'm dealing with this person that's annoying me or, or I'm arguing with them or, or even attached to them or projecting onto them this incredible beauty and attraction, really what's going on is you're dealing with your own internal relationship with that anima and animus. And if you understand that, then relationships become uh, really a way of spiritual development because it is a way of deepening your own understanding and, and your own sense of compassion and love, uh, you know, to, and because you're, you're not projecting and expecting this other person to bring you happiness. You're understanding that it's coming from you mm-hmm. and that you have to get in touch with your own inner, you know, kind of resources for, for love and compassion and it, no, because if you're not in touch with that, no matter what the other person brings, they could bring incredible love and beauty. But if you're not in touch with that, you're not going to experience it. Yeah, yeah, very true. I, I actually discussed that. I touched on it briefly in a, in a discussion or a podcast with um, Lama Surya Das, who is a um, Buddhist, uh, Tibetan Buddhist monk practitioner. Uh, we covered exactly what you were saying, a relationship as a yoga, as a practice, because, um, and I think I even uh, covered it with Ramdas, uh, who is a, another uh, spiritual teacher, sure. because it's something that uh, it does, it does bring those, um, I don't know how you put it, but it allows you to work on yourself in that way. Um, and it does. So and when I really examine, you know, the, the two, the t- I always think of the two becoming the one. So in a relationship, I just see it as, there's two individuals, but uh, from a scientific perspective of the fact that, you know, we all arose from the same source, so to speak. And then just even from a mythological or religious perspective, I just see it as God communing with God. And mm-hmm. when I see it as that, it, it, the whole thing becomes a little bit comical to me, even in argument or in debate, because it's, it's I almost picture an entity arguing with itself or an enti- entity not loving itself. And that is only just going to cause a lack of love back. You know what I mean? Like it's just, it's just this mere reflection of it. So it's kind of cheesy that the saying, you know, treat others as you want to be treated, but that's exactly what it comes down to. And especially in a relationship because there has to be that that give and take that balance. Um, And I like to come at it, come at it from all perspectives from this, you know, the the religious, the mythological, and then the scientific as well. And um, it all sort of leads me to the same thing. So it's just really interesting and and how you, how you put it there. It just reminded me a lot of that relationship yoga that, you know, I've discussed before with some people and it's, it's powerful. It's very powerful because it does, it's someone there that can reveal things within you that you can then bring up and work on that you may not have done so yourself. And they're so close and intimate with you that they're going to have that perfect like way of doing it. You know, there's that exact way that needs to be done so that you can examine things. Yeah, we're definitely in, a, in an interesting um, time that we're living because we do have access to so much knowledge and information, both from the East and the West, that's giving us a, this 
a new perspective on what is consciousness, what is uh, love and relationships, you know, what, what are we dealing here when we talk about the mind, uh, dreams, uh, even our everyday experience, you know, what is it made out of? And, mm-hmm. and, and all this, uh, you know, the, the new physics that they're coming out uh, appears to confirm a lot of what the Eastern philosophy was talking about, that we're dealing with Maya. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't mean it's not real, but it means that the nature of its existence, the way it appears to us, is very much, uh, m- it's very much an, an illusory experience. It's, it's, it's a type of projection, a type of, uh, it is very dreamlike in that the meaning we ascribe to it is really our own understanding of it, our own experience of what, what does this mean? It's up to us to create that meaning, to, to deepen it, to, to open it up to what, what is it showing me about my own mind, you know, mm-hmm. my capacity to, to love and to understand life. And once you start to see that, then everything becomes a, uh, a way of learning, right? A way of understanding. Uh, there's nothing outside of it, and so there's nothing wasted, really. Uh, you can learn from every moment, and, and every moment has all the potential of the universe inherent in it. So, it, you know, it, it, it does bring us to a point in history where I think uh, we need to get this information out, like you're doing through, through your, your work, that... It's not about going off to the Himalayas. It's not about reaching some mystical state uh, in a yoga posture somewhere. It is about understanding how do we, how do we work with our everyday mind, right? Mm-hmm. And every day, in every 24-hour period, we go through this incredible state that we call wakefulness. We go into dreaming, and then we go into deep sleep every 24 hours. So the, our mind and our, uh, our mind-body is, is very apt at changing states of mind and going through different states of mind naturally. So already we're set up for this, uh, this kind of uh, navigating altered states of mind. You know, if you think about it, a bird is designed for flight. What is a human being designed for? It seems to be that that's our, our purpose, is to navigate these different states of mind and understand the universe from this uh, kind of um, very mystical perspective. That, that seems to be our work. And we're happiest when we're doing that, right? When we're thinking about these things or, or perceiving them in the right way, it's, it just seems to bring a, a natural joy and happiness to our, to our being because that's our nature. That's our true nature. Right. And certainly not watching the Kardashians or anything like that, right? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's contemplating some, some philosophical things. And that's why I do produce some of this content. It's just because there's so much noise out yes. there with just nonsense and garbage. And, it, and it's just... Uh, it, it's, it's tough to get through, uh, especially with some, some information that's, you know, going to be really resourceful for people. And, and, and what you're doing actually, it reminds me a lot of just, um, there's actually a, a guru in India and he describes, 
I think his name is Sadhguru, but he describes the, the human body, the mind as a technology. It's basically a piece of technology that we're given. And we don't have a manual for this thing. You're just, you're just popped out. You're given no instructions whatsoever. And you're just, you know, good luck to you. Have a life next. Right. It's, it's just not very uh, intuitive for a lot of people. So uh, I think even what you're doing now, which is available to people later in life, I think that should be more integrated into the early uh, education system and helping younger people deal with and understand their psyche. When I was younger, I, I was uh, always deep in thought, but I found no one else around me was deep in thought in a similar way. And it, it was a little bit isolating and it doesn't help one develop that skill set of, of you know, inward reflection and things like that. Um, so it wasn't until later in life, almost uh, what you alluded to earlier in my like late twenties, thirties is when I really started to get into all that stuff. And it was after having pretty successful business career to that point, you know, uh, achieving certain things and then thinking, okay, so like, what's what now, what, you know, and then it was just, it kind of left me thinking, okay, I'm going to go back to how I thought as a child and, but do it from an older age now where I can actually um, guide myself on how to, to interpret those, those things that I was feeling or experiencing. Um, so that's, that's really been my journey so far from like a, from a middle age to going to later in life. And I, and I see it continuing to, to progress. And just part of my, my mission at this point is to help others do the same, get them on the same path and allow them to, you know, without, without sounding too cheesy, but allow them to become that, that lotus flower you know, to Absolutely. really, to really get up out of the muck, get out, get up out of the mud because that mud is Maya. That, that is, that is part of the illusion of, of, of it all. So, um, yeah. you know, that does really the purpose of me creating the content. <laughs> Absolutely. That, that's part of what we saw. So is it, is the question for, for us was like this, can we create something where people are able to express that higher purpose, which is, like you said, to free your mind and to help others free their mind, uh, where they can do it full time. And when we saw coaching, we said, well, here's a, here's a vehicle that has the potential, right? But we need to infuse it with this higher knowledge to where people are teaching how to free their mind and at the same time freeing their mind in the process and therefore living their higher purpose and expressing that higher purpose in a practical way where they don't have to do a, a nine to five job and you know, be in the cubicle for eight hours. They can actually work at doing this, this very important work and improve the planet, right? And free, free their own mind and free other people's minds. And that's been our challenge. And it, it's been incredible for us because it's actually working. We've been actually able to do this and to sustain ourselves and, and thrive while doing this kind of work. That is, you know, for, like I say, for us, it's, it's the greatest joy to, to focus on this work because we're talking about it continuously and we're teaching others continuously and therefore freeing our mind continuously and freeing other people. Mm -hmm. It's just constantly renewing yourself in the process as well. And you're learning as you're teaching and it's just this back and forth, you know, give and take uh, very much like a relationship, but you're establishing with just masses, masses of people. Um, now in terms of someone and especially dealing with the unconscious mind or even just dealing with the waking state and their actions, do you find that visualization is a, a resourceful tool that someone should consider adopting visualizing, 
any aspect of their their day-to-day experience. Uh, I personally practice this where I'll, I'll, in the mornings, I like to visualize my day through to the end of the day. Um, I'll, I'll like to make a list of things I need to do and then I'll visualize getting through those things and even the interactions that I'll, I'll have with other people, I, I try to visualize that as well. And uh, it, it all has to do, in my case, it has to do with serving others. I visualize that I'm, I'm here to serve others and serve uh, their greatest good, but in doing so, serve my greatest good or my highest potential. Absolutely. So uh, do you feel that visualization is something that people can, should consider adopting uh, either in a similar fashion where they're doing it on simply just a day's, a 24-hour span, or if they're doing it in a long-term, you know, months, years, be it a business plan, be it uh, you know, a weight loss goal. Uh, I'll give you another example. When I was uh, going back about five or seven years now, right around that time where I did make that transformative shift, I, I, I had basically been working really hard, going out, boots and bottles, that type of thing, you know, um, clubbing, party, all that in the 20s. And I got overweight, I was getting depressed, I was uh, unhealthy, all sorts of things were building up. And it's really like the transformative process for me involved so much visualization because I would stand in front of the mirror, just stand in front of the mirror and just look and, and, and visualize the, the version of myself, which it's almost as if the future version of me beckons to me in the present. And I, and it, and I, and I lasso that version or I lasso it and I pull it to myself. And it's just the, t- the patience and the time it takes, because it's all just the time uh, for that to, to come to fruition. But visualization was, was I heavily relied on it in, in that case, because what I did was completely transform myself. Uh, I lost like 40, 50 pounds within three, four months. Got really good shape. You know, I, I was in shape growing up, but it just I went through that phase where I just like dropped off. Um, yeah. You know, to, to the outside world, it may not have looked that way because financially I was okay and all this other stuff. But, you know, in my internal world was not that way. So, you know, I just want to get your take on visualization and, and sure. how some people could apply it in their own day-to-day lives. Yeah. Uh, right now there's uh, some great research coming out of the University of Wisconsin, my, my uh, uh, old school uh, by Richard Davidson, who's working with some of the, uh, some of the llamas at uh, – are part of uh, the Dalai Lama's uh, uh, entourage. And uh, they're finding that visualization, just like meditation or specialized types of meditations, actually changes the brain structure. It actually changes the, the architecture of, of the brain, the way it's organized and the way it, it sets itself up. And it makes sense because to the brain, what is real and what is happening out there, it does not distinguish from what is happening inside. In other words, if we visualize potential, possibility in our mind, the brain reads it as, oh, okay, this is what's possible for you. This is what's actual and what's, what you, you can experience. So to the extent that we can use our imagination to to reshape our own brain, it, it is self-directed neuroplasticity, essentially what we're doing with visualization. Mm-hmm. We're shaping the structure of our own mind and therefore changing its function, its capacity, its direction, which includes the body, right? What we call the, it, because now we know it's the mind-body, not only, you know, the brain is not separate from the body and and it's not separate from the mind. So as we're able to use imagination through visualization to direct 
what is possible for us? What, what, what do we want our experience to be in life? We are taking control of our own destiny in a very literal sense and reshaping ourselves from the inside out. Now, given that, uh, a lot of people think, okay, if I just focus on getting money or getting success, somehow it's going to, to appear. And they're disappointed when it doesn't appear. Well, that's because, again, if you're not conscious of that previous conditioning in your mind, your mind will, will not believe that those things you're visualizing uh, are, are actually in your, in, in your capacity to achieve, right? Because the unconscious will override your conscious decision. That's why a lot of the work is about working with the shadow, working with the past conditioning so that uh, you can understand it. You can, you know, kind of digest that karma from the past. Once you do that, then your visualizations become very powerful and you are able to direct it. Mm-hmm. Like cleaning the, the, the fog or muck off of a dirty window in a way, really just, just uh, yeah. doing that work so the perception can be a little bit clearer perhaps. Um, and what I find is when, when doing that visualization, um, and it's funny you mentioned, I think I actually watched one of your episodes with your wife uh, discussing that a lot of people do these vision boards and a lot of people are, are sort of caught up in this law of attraction power and all this other stuff where they think that it's done in a way where you don't actually have to do any work towards it, you know, aside from, you know, throwing some pennies in a well and, and turning your back and wishing something, right? Right. So I, I like to focus on with a lot of people is, and even when I stood in front of the mirror in that example I had given, it's not like I just snapped my fingers and three months later I lost the weight. I did the work every single day leading up to it. Yes. Um, and even with, you know, dieting and everything else. So I just want to get your take on this, but there's, there's something I always consider, um, and I've discussed it on previous episodes of, of the podcast as well, but this conceptual plane or a, a, a realm of um, possibilities that through visualization you can tap into and call forth and claim what it is you want and, and bring it into manifestation. Um, and in doing so, having, having the, the capability, and this is in large part what you're teaching, but having the capability to bypass the unconscious or, or the shadow in, in this case and, and really just get the, the, I guess, trying to find the best means to, to bringing that into fruition, to bringing that into manifestation. Like you have the idea, you want to claim it, the method isn't necessarily to put up a vision board. It's but to do the work, to take action in the field of action. The field of action being our dimensional reality, our space that we all reside in. You, you yes. create the conceptual, uh, you create in the conceptual plane, you claim it, you bring it, and then you take action. And I find a lot of people get, get caught on that action. You know, where's that first step? I've got it. It's in my head. This is what I want. Where's my first step and how do I move forward in that direction? Do you, do you have any advice for people that, that get caught like that? Yes. Uh, a lot of it comes from the, the perceptual mechanisms uh, that we have. So if we think perceptually, it appears that I'm waiting for, for the external to verify what's possible for me. So, for example, if I'm looking for a job, uh, you know, I'm taking action, but I, I'm, I'm perceiving the goal to be external to me, to my mind. That 
when somebody re responds to my action, that will be the verification of what's possible for me. Mm, right? okay. So I'm waiting I'm for, looking the, for feedback almost from the outside world, yes. right? No. Yeah, I'm waiting for the feedback to verify what's possible for me. Now, that situation, we, we're just assuming and it's running unconsciously and therefore we're caught up in a, in a type of delusion. Uh, perception is really setting us up uh, with false information in a way. So a lot of the, the Eastern work, if you notice, is focused on looking inward and understanding the nature of the mind because that clarifies the misperception. Your thoughts create your reality, meaning your mind is the cause. The cause is not out there. The cause of happiness is in your mind. The cause of success, the cause of abundance, the cause of everything arises first in the mind. Then you see it externally. So the action is simply to, to bring it forth in a way to, to receive it, not to create it. So we create first in our mind what's possible through meditation, through visualization, through doing this internal work of shadow work or karmic work. And then we take the action simply to receive what we've created in our mind. And that's the, the true understanding of how reality works. And, and that, that process is, you know, takes some training because, again, perceptually, we're conditioned to perceive things external to us, right? That things have an independence outside of our mind, and that's just not so, and it, and it has no reality to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's um, the universe is mental. The all all is mind, right? It's, it, yes. it is. It is wonderful. Um, and I, I'm not. This isn't too much in your field, but I did want to just touch on it. Now, have you looked much into? And I'm relatively new to it as well. But the the gut brain connection, in essence, how our physical selves and our gut, especially, and all these microbiome, billions of micro gut microbiome, are interacting with us, and kind of guiding us in a way that like many of us don't really consider. Um, have you looked much into that? Just, just from like the, the psychological uh, perspective, I'm really curious because it's almost like what people are eating and what they're consuming in today's society in conjunction with stress and sleep, lack of sleep and all these other factors, it's almost like they're working at half capacity when it comes to their their ability to mentally execute something or even to perform the visualization just because they've got all these um, toxins or toxicities in their body that are just coming from the external world. Uh, and, you know, in large part, the gut, uh, I've personally just been focusing so much on gut health, uh, either through um, uh, just basically taking a lot more um, kombucha and things like that. Um, and I do find a bit more clarity when I'm not eating a ton of sugar and all sorts of stuff. So do you find that just in, in today's society and how things are in today's culture, getting back to what we earlier discussed, but especially in the United States, the, the, the food and the, the diet and the lifestyle is like a hindrance in a lot of ways to the, to the psychological development of the individual. Do you find there's like a, a slight hindrance there or something that's kind of um, like there needs to be a breakthrough point where people not just examine their, their mental 
uh, way of being, but just all, they also examine their, their physical day-to-day lifestyle in order to just yeah. make a full-on improvement. Do you, do you teach that at all in your training or is something you consider at all, just the physicality of someone and how that can affect their, you know, their mental well-being? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and there's uh, kind of a new paradigm emerging from this uni of East and West that uh, we're, we're kind of in the, on the, on the cusp of it. The, because the, our body is essentially made out of consciousness as well, just like everything in the universe, a lot of people think, well, okay, if it's just thought, if it's just our mind, then maybe I don't need to focus on it. But if you notice the physical world, the physical reality that we experience as our external world, including our bodies, uh, do it, it does have rules. It does have uh, like a structure to it, right? A, a pattern to it. Uh, this would be part of what Jung called the, the archetypes. There is an archetype of health, let's say, and, and wholeness that if you do not follow those principles, you, your body will deteriorate and get sick because you're not following the proper understanding. Uh, it's very much like gardening. If, you, you understand that a plant needs certain conditions to thrive. Your body needs certain conditions to thrive. Your mind also needs certain conditions to thrive. So we have this incredible consciousness, and it's for a reason, is that we want to turn it on ourselves and our, our own health and our own mind-body, but also think about food and the conditions that we're creating for ourselves. Are those conditions that we're creating for ourselves uh, providing for those principles that we call health and growth and um, harmony with the environment? Or are we stifling, you know, and going against those principles? So certainly we know uh, clean water light, exercise, all the principles that yoga, Aryadeva talk about uh, this incredible kind of synthesis of uh, looking at everything as as a whole. We need to understand those principles and apply them in our lives. And if we don't, then illness arises, disharmony. At the same time, just like the shadow work, when illness arises, discomfort, suffering, it's giving us an opportunity to understand the deeper connection of our mind-body, right? If we take it as an opportunity, if we simply throw drugs at it or surgeries at it and try to correct it in a, let's say, a mis- misguided way, right? Because we're treating the body as separate from the mind and we say, well, if something's wrong with my stomach, let me just throw some, some drugs that work on the stomach and maybe kill all the, those natural bacteria that thrive in, in the stomach. Um, then I'm, I'm not working along with those higher principles and the, the, the true understanding of what the body is, right? I'm cutting, I'm separating, I'm saying this, the, the body is simply a material and my mind is separate from that. 
but really mind body is one and that's that's a true understanding and um it you know it's it's the it's affirming a lot of what the the ancient practice of yoga taught that bringing awareness and consciousness into the body and disciplining it from the inside out, uh, starting from the basics, right? Breathing, um, good, healthy water and food and rest will create the the natural health that, that is our inheritance. And and do you cover that in your, in your program, in your training program, um, even as a starting point for someone, because a lot of people would be starting from an, I'm assuming from an unhealthy uh, lifestyle, uh, dietary habits, sleep habits, things like that. And it's almost like that's the foundation, you know, they need to work that and then the rest can, can come after. Yes. We, yeah, we are starting to include it because, you know, we've, We've seen that so many people that come and join our programs uh, have health issues. And, it, and uh, of course, it's because they've been living in an environment that is out of harmony. It's not understanding the, those principles. So, you know, in yoga, they talk about the five sheets of the body. And that's a, it's a really good start uh, or a way to start on that path to health and, and wholeness. First of all, we have the physical body, then the pranic body, which is the energy that sustains the physical body. Then further in, we have the mind, right? The subtle mind that sustains the energy and the physical body. Then higher than that is the intellect, meaning, you know, like we were talking about visualization, that's where that visualization comes from, that higher intellect. Then deeper than that, at the core, we have the very subtle mind, which is kind of the, what, what in the West we would call the soul or the spirit, which is really the cause of our existence. And all those sheets are operating within us right now and every moment. If you don't understand that, if you separate the body and you think, well, the body, you know, it only needs food and rest. And, and if, if it gets sick, I'll just throw some medicine at it or some medication. You're not understanding what, you know, how this mind body has arisen and, and how it operates. Then that's when you get into trouble. You start to suffer. You start to feel pain. It starts to be out of harmony. And, and part of our work seems to be to, to understand that through, the, through the, the experience of having a body that suffers, meaning that it experiences pain and pushback from the environment, right? Um, no matter how enlightened we become, if I stay out in the sun too long, my skin will get burnt, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. It, it doesn't exclude us from from the principles uh, that are operating in Maya in, mm-hmm. in, the, in the physical experience of the world. And so it, it's a teaching mechanism, right? It's teaching us about our own mind body as we, as we suffer, as we experience the, 
the, the limitations of the, our physical body, it, it is a way of learning. It is a way of expressing our spirituality as well. That's a great way of looking at it. I, I sometimes think I go a little bit too in-depth with the analysis. I'm going to give you a little short story. It's kind of funny from today, this morning. So I started out my day and I was um, working outside on a laptop, um, just working away and uh, a wasp came up and I think I accidentally stepped on it and I didn't have any shoes on and I stung my, my pinky toe. It's actually stinging. It's been stinging this whole time. That's quite interesting. Um, when that happens, I like to examine the suffering itself that's coming from it. Uh, almost examine the pain, look at the pain from a, the position of a witness and observe that pain. And then I also go as far, and I was uh, with Grace, my, my spouse, she, she looked up online the connection of um, the foot, pinky toe with the body and what that symbolizes. So sometimes we go a little bit further than I think we need to, but we looked up what that could mean that I got stung in the pinky toe from a wasp. Because so much so, I think the outside world communicates with us in ways that we don't right. quite understand. And out of the infinite realm of possibilities, this one little wasp caught me on the pinky toe in this exact spot, right? So it's, how? How did this happen? Sure, I could come up with a whole chain of events that led to that, but uh, I, sometimes I'll do away with all that because it's too much mental work, and I'll just go with the more woo-woo side and examine what that means to me. And, um, you know, how, how, what I should examine my old body. Sometimes I'll look something up and say, oh, that means your kidney. And I'll think, okay, so what about diet? Do I examine now? What can I do there? And I'll try and clean things up. So that, that's, there's, <laughs> there's not much science behind that, but it's something that I like to do on a day-to-day -day basis is just how the world interacts with me in these seemingly random situations that, yeah. um, because I almost feel that every there's there's a realm where that bee or that wasp had stung me in every single one of my toes and every single part of my body and the 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 one that took place was the one that obviously did that's the one that came through so that's the one i should examine um it's just something i like to do personally and i think sometimes i'm a little crazy with it but it's very much akin to what you're saying or what you're describing um so i just find it pretty interesting it's mm -hmm. kind of a little little anecdote <laughs> yeah yeah Jung talks about entering the symbolic life and that's precisely what it means is that instead of seeing uh, these external events as just random meaninglessness uh, no everything is somehow part of our our psyche right the living psyche there's nothing separate from it there's nothing outside of it and therefore even uh, uh, me stepping uh, on, on a wasp and it's stinging my little toe means something. Mm -hmm. Now, exactly what that means, we don't want to, let's say, just use a, a reductionist approach and say, well, you know, it, it, in the dictionary, it says it means this. That would be too, um, too limiting. The living experience of the symbolic life is that I take it into consciousness and understand it as, oh, this is speaking to me somehow. Now, exactly what it is, I don't know. It's very much like a conversation, right? There, right, right. There's a back and forth and, and an openness that we're experiencing. And the meaning then starts to emerge from that back and forth, right? So it's, I'm not just looking for a quick answer to it, but I'm, I, I'm looking at it in that open way and saying, there's something speaking to me here. Life is speaking to me directly here. 
Mm-hmm. I like that. Life is speaking to you, communicating with you. Yeah, I, I, I firmly believe in that. Um, and and I, people describe that type of thought processes as, as synchronicity, um, which is the, the outside world communicating with you. Um, there was another incident recently. I was just driving along and there was a grasshopper in my, my vehicle, just one grasshopper. So, of course, I had to look up what this means. <laughs> you know, one, what does this little grasshopper do? He drove with me for like 15 uh, kilometers. So I'm thinking must be my buddy for some reason. So, you know, I like to interpret what that means exactly. And in that case, I think it had something to do with leaping forward in life, making, making um, big moves towards your dreams and things like that. So that was, a, you know, motivating for me. Um, yeah, the grasshopper often uh, represents the trickster as well. Mm. Or part of that, you know, the symbolism of the trickster. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, I've gotten more into that stuff and over the years, and I think it's a, it's a little bit on the woo-woo side, but um, that's only towards, you know, in, in the perception of science, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are the the biggest challenges or hurdles that someone faces when they first come to you, when they first want to, um, like, what is the obstacle that you find most people face when they want to get started down a path where they're starting to examine themselves, do more inward work? Uh, and just generally improve their their state of being and, and their overall wellness in life. Like, what do you find people's hurdle is when they first start along that path? Yeah, the uh, the hardest part for all of us is to let go of our ego, uh, that uh, that attachment that we have to our identity as persona, right? As as this is who I am. This is I. Because all our life, um, especially that first half of our life. We've, we focus so much on establishing ourselves as ego, as persona, and saying, I'm going to make it, right? I'm going to survive. And, and rightly so. We need to survive to, to be able to do this higher work. We need to establish ourselves as individuals and be healthy and be you know, clear-minded and all that. But it, when you enter individuation, then... It's, it's almost everything is upside down now. Now it's about letting go of, of a lot of that, of the, those assumptions that you've held on for so long and that you've, you've depended on for so long to, to keep you feeling like, yeah, I'm an integrated person and, and you know, a complete human being. Now it's about opening up the mind to the collective, the collective unconscious, like Jung says, what is the meaning of mythology? What is the meaning of the universe? What am I doing here? And who am I, right? If I am not the, the individual persona, what does that mean about my life? And that part, it, it's difficult uh, because, like I say, it, it, it threatens everything that we've held dear in our life up to this point. It, it does away with a lot of our assumptions as to what what is the meaning of my life and who am I, and that that's that's I think that's the biggest challenge for all of us. Mm-hmm. It's almost as if some sort of tower had been built up and just knocked right over, and then they think, oh, what about my tower? Where you know I built this thing up and now it's you know the Lego blocks are all down. Yeah. Um, so do you? Sorry, I'm just trying to think of how to structure this uh, this question here. But 
It, do you find, and I'm, I'm going to get into the psychedelics as well. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the John Hunt, Johns Hopkins uh, University. I believe I pronounced that right. And their research towards that. Do you find that it's a gradual process when someone has to do it without the use of tool? I call them tools, psychedelics, mm-hmm. psilocybin mushrooms, uh, dimethyltryptamine, things like that that can that can bring them to a state that they aren't too familiar with because they've already constructed this reality, this tower for themselves. But when it, it, it's like a very quick, fast way to um, just knock that tower down as opposed to doing that work that could take months. Um, have you had any experience with either people using uh, psychedelics or anything to, or even yourself, um, to cause an immediate shift in perception? And I, and I know especially towards PTSD, towards um, a lot of trauma, towards... Um, even in some cases, uh, bipolar and things like that, these, these uh, substances are being applied and successfully applied. So I just wanted to get your take on that. Sure. Um, yeah, um, I did a lot of traveling uh, uh, and work in Mexico early on, and uh, I met uh, some of the Huichol people, uh, who is a, they're a Native American tribe whose uh, sacrament is the peyote bud. Uh, and the peyote bud is a, is a psychoactive, psych, psychedelic. Uh, I participated in some of the rituals, and I can tell you it is life-transforming uh, to experience the mind from within through, through those rituals. Uh, at the same time, it is a ritual, and, and understanding culture and the way it works, it helps to have that cultural support to experience those things in. Often people are kind of violently extracting those rituals and trying to apply them in, a, in, a, in another context, right? A medical context or kind of a, a, well, often just kind of a frivolous content, right? Where they want to get high or, or want to experience something yeah, different. Yeah, and I have a few friends just like that. Um, just like that. <laughs> yeah. It's medicating. Those I find it's medicating. Um, and it's always getting high. It's always just, it's like taking an aspirin, but it's not addressing an underlying, you know, an under, underlying issue I find. That's right. Yeah. If you look at those cultures, their, their whole system is, is really meant to support that experience in a broader context, not only just that, it's the psychoactive element of it, but what does it mean to have that transformation or have that experience uh, in your mind? And then how do you apply it and sustain it throughout your life? So I think that that's where we're at. It's definitely worth looking into, but we know that the reason those plants and those substances have an impact on our mind is because we have the neurotransmitters and, and neuroreceptors for them. Meaning, it ha- our, our mind and our brain has have the capacity to generate those states of mind already, mm-hmm. or uh, otherwise we wouldn't. It wouldn't have an, an impact on us. It would just be food, right, that we're eating. But they 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 activate a an element in our mind that's already there, just like dreaming, right? In, in a dream, we're able to experience incredible hallucinations that are. 3D experiences, complete with sound, color, you know, everything. And, and then if you look at lucid dreaming, for example, it is a, a psychedelic experience uh, 
already built into our mind. So I, I would say it's, it's definitely worth looking into psychedelics, but in a, in a careful and studied way. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and possibly in conjunction with some additional work that's supportive of, of the use of those psychedelics. That's right. Which supports the, the after experience. Like, what are you going to do with that experience? What is the meaning of that? And how is it going to help you? How, how can you sustain it in your life instead of just having that experience and then going back to, you know, business as usual? Right. And then just having that feeling of needing to go back to have that experience. And then again, back to business as usual. So, and that those are those friends that I was describing, that's exactly what they do. And a lot of them have that nine to five, go in an office and sit there. And then it's like every other weekend, they're going and doing ayahuasca and these things. And without trying to figure out a practical application of how to move that forward into their own lives. um, So I, I just find it to be, uh, but but in in a case of a situation such as what you're doing, it's a bit more controlled. There's a little bit more um, I don't know. I don't know if substance is the right word to it, but there's a little just just a little bit more there that where you could actually help guide someone with the use of those tools. I just see them as a fast a means of fast tracking. For yeah. instance, someone that's uh, 65, 70 years old. I think of my mother as a perfect example. She is not very. Uh, she's kind of raised Catholic, like very strict in that sense, and not so much. Um, into a lot of those other ways, you know, it's just a very, very old way of thinking. And, and karmically, that's something that I've had to yeah. examine as well. But um, I think of her case, and I've, I've pitched it to her before. She's never done drugs or of any type. And I've pitched it to her. I think you should do some psilocybin tea or something because it's 65 years of this conditioning, 65 years of being asleep. And sometimes just that little bit, just, just, a, just a glimpse of the possibility allows someone to then develop an interest and further explore it. So I think that just in terms of just that initial push, sometimes that can be very beneficial, but it needs that support system. It needs that the training to, uh, to coincide with it in order for it to be a long-term viable option for people. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think it was Huxley who um, uh, experienced uh, mescaline and uh, in it, in his deathbed, he wanted to, that was his request to have some mescaline mm-hmm. in order to really enjoy and experience the, the death process. Um, so uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely uh, uh, a way of o- opening the mind. I, I used to have a friend who'd say, I don't trust anybody who hasn't had a psychedelic experience. Yeah. I've heard that before. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, because it, it does change your perception of what is the mind. Uh, but luckily, we do have now uh, the wisdom of the Upanishads and the Gita that teach us that we can access these, the, 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 these potentials of the mind without the need of, uh, of these psychedelic substances. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. definitely. Just, need, just need someone to help sort of expose that information to people. Yeah. Um, well, we've, we're just about an hour now in, and um, I, don't, I don't have too many other questions for you, but I just wanted to kind of summarize and say thank you for taking this time and sharing your, your thoughts and, and everything it is that you're doing. And maybe we can have another follow-up conversation down the road. Um, was there anything else you wanted to just touch on before we hop off? Any, anything you wanted to share with anyone that's listening? Um, I'll just say that, to, you know, I think everybody has a sense that we are living in a very unique time uh, and we we all need to do our best and really wake up and use 
all our potential. And if, if this kind of work speaks to you, definitely pursue it. You know, whether it be following your work or our work, just involve yourself in understanding your mind and move towards it. It is our true nature to, to do this work. You will find that there's a satisfaction, there's a kind of an, uh, a self-revelation uh, that will occur uh, because it, we're meant to do it. It's, it's simply waiting for us to acknowledge that need and, and it will meet us halfway. So as soon as we, as soon as we set the intention to work on our mind, to look inward, to experience something deeper, life will respond. The universe will show us something about ourselves. So uh, I definitely invite everyone to do it and not give up. It's, it's our, it's our true nature. It's our experience here. Uh, that's what we're here for. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah. And I totally, just, totally agree. Yeah. I just want to say to you, thank you for your work uh, that you're doing. It's incredible. Uh, keep up the good work. And um, we hope you continue. No, well, thank you for, for your kind words. And yeah, I mean, my, my whole, my work is to, to have people like you express what you've done and, um, Try to bring bring more attention to it. Really, is this really it? Take whatever following I can amass and just just guide them in the right direction to who they need to to reach out to or communicate with in order to, to better themselves. Um, I don't. I'm not sure if I'm personally that person that can help them. I just feel like I'm the. I guess you could say like the conduit to help guide people. Really, um, yeah. But I don't. I don't necessarily have any training programs myself. I just like to to guide people to those programs. <laughs> but um, no. Thanks again, and uh, I will keep you posted on when this gets uploaded. It's usually pretty quick within like a week or two, um, awesome. but I'll be in touch. All right. All right. Great talking to you, Adam. Thanks yeah. a lot. Take care. Bye-bye.